You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Today, as we get into Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the first of several occasions where Daniel takes a stand for the Lord and he's obedient to the word of God. Now, remember at this point, even in captivity, Daniel, as well as the other Jewish captives that were with him, they already had the Psalms written by David and other people. They had the history of the Jews recorded by Moses and many of the writings of the prophets. So they had no excuse for disobeying God. But many times when the situation came and they were in the moment, they caved to whatever culture they were in. And they didn't stand for what's right, but there were a few young boys, young Jewish men, who refused the provisions of the world. And they didn't partake of what they were invited to. So this really is a good lesson for all of us that we need to be willing to take a stand. And there's there's at least three occasions that I think of in the book of Daniel where these men did not conform to the world. The first one here is in chapter one, which we're going to start to look at. And that's when they did not accept the portion of the king's meat. So this occurred right here in the introduction of the book. And notice that Daniel is not alone in his decision to go against the king's provision here. He has his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so this small friend group, which really has to be a small percentage in the midst of all the royal captives who were taken here. But nonetheless, Daniel and his three other friends made the decision to honor God in this first test that they found themselves in as soon as they got into Babylon. And this wasn't the first time either that they were in this situation. There's another time when the pagan image of Nebuchadnezzar was built and they were commanded to bow to the image when the music was played. And Daniel actually isn't recorded as being a part of this uh, incident this uh, in this account. Daniel isn't there. And John Phillips, in his commentary, he offers a couple different possibilities. He says he might have either been far away on private or public business, he could have been ill, or he might have been in retirement already at this point. But wherever Daniel was, it's obvious that he found out what happened, and God led him to record this second instance where his three friends stood up for what was right. So by now, I'm sure they have quite a reputation. And once again, these three Jewish exiles are alone. They stood alone in the midst of the Chaldean princes, the governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, rulers, and Nebuchadnezzar himself. And I'm sure there were other Jews in that same account who had passed the examinations with high scores and they were in that crowd that day. But everyone around them, the Jews that they might have known from back home and the other leaders who were from the Orient, from the East, already part of the Babylonian kingdom, they all bowed and these guys continued to take a stand. And then over in chapter six of the book of Daniel, which we'll get to eventually, we read about Daniel and the prohibition on prayer. So even when there was a conspiracy against Daniel 
and the other three presidents of the whole realm of Persia wanted to get him killed. They tried to use his religion to do that, and there was a ban on prayer, but Daniel ignored that ban, and he prayed just as he had before. And for that, of course, he was thrown into the lion's den all alone. Now notice that each of these scenarios, there gets to be fewer and fewer people. That's something I thought was kind of interesting. At first, Daniel has an entire friend group backing him. But then, by the time we get to chapter 6 in the lion's den, Daniel makes his stand alone. So let's get a closer look at this first instance. And we're just going to walk through some of these verses. I'm going to point out some of the things here. And we're just going to get into Daniel's exportation. Okay, so we're looking at chapter 1. Daniel's exportation, which takes place, it's, we're going to see it's mentioned in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So the Bible says in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now there's a lot going on in this first verse right here. Obviously, we see first off the wickedness of Israel. So the reason why God raised up Babylon to come against Israel was because they had repeatedly ignored God's warnings and ignored God's word. So during the divided kingdom, God sent a number of prophets to the kings of backslidden Judah to warn them that his judgment was coming. One of the main reasons for that was because there was so much wickedness from the kings. Now, every now and then there would be a good king. But whatever good he did was quickly undone by the subsequent king. And one thing that was recorded, or one thing that was never recorded, that ever took place in the southern kingdom, that they never got right with God, was the observance of the sabbatical year of rest for the land, which was supposed to occur every seventh year. So they just completely ignored that part of God's law. They never gave the the land rest. They never followed that law of God. And so by the time God judged them, it had been 490 years. So the land had missed 70 years that it should have rested. And really by that point, you know, sometimes it seems as though God was winking at Judah's rebellion, but he was actually extending the opportunity for them to return to him. As we read in many of the minor prophets, God was not indifferent his mercy doesn't last forever. He he wasn't just sitting back, letting them get away with it. No, because there there came a time when he pronounced judgment upon Judah and the the land was conquered by Babylon. And that's what we're reading about here. But really, the, the other reason for the destruction of the southern kingdom was because of their glaring idolatry. So because of their wicked kings, they ignored God's law about the sabbatical year of rest for the land. And then they had terrible idolatry. But really, the Bible gives a similar warning to people in our day, because God has promised that he will return, and he is going to exact judgment on everyone who has rejected him, or who has turned to other gods, or who has attempted to get his approval some other way, other than through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone. So, people today might think that they've gotten away with their rejection of God, but God has not forgotten his word. And he's not indifferent towards mankind's sin. Judgment is definitely coming. And every person really needs to think about God's justice and God's holiness. That's what we need to think about. 
And so we read about Nebuchadnezzar. We, we continue here in verse 2. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, into the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's just uh, take a moment and think about Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So we've looked at, we're, we're in Daniel's exportation here in the book of Daniel. The first thing we looked at was the wickedness of Israel. Now we're looking at the wisdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar was, first off, he was a Chaldean. And you see that right there in verse 4. But really what that term means, it refers to his ethnicity and the height of his social status. Okay, so in Babylon at this point in history, the Chaldeans were apparently, um, well, they were the leading, most elite class of their society. So if you were in Babylon at this point, the basically all the people of this kingdom were divided into five classes. And so the, the Chaldeans being the top of that, the, the upper echelon, the elite of their society. And that's who Nebuchadnezzar was. So these men made up basically the highest classes of the magicians, the astrologers, sorcerers, all that's hinted in, um, in Daniel chapter two, verse two, which we'll get to in a little bit. But so Nebuchadnezzar would have definitely been astonishingly wealthy, very powerful, involved in pagan religion, which we just read about a little bit there, the, the house of his gods. And he would have been exceedingly proud of his racial heritage. So that's a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar, but he was also an academic scholar and a proven military genius. Uh, One commentary describes the mathematical capabilities of ancient Babylon as being very high-tech. For example, they had developed a sophisticated numbering system that was based on the number 60. They had a rudimentary form of integral calculus to calculate the path of Jupiter, we're talking about like 1800 BC. They had a deep understanding of trigonometry and uh, geometry, and they had some groundbreaking archaeological, or I'm sorry, architectural techniques, language advancements that were unparalleled in their time, and they had one of the most accurate calendars way back then. So these people were very academic. They were geniuses, basically. And Nebuchadnezzar was, at this point in verse 1, he's actually the captain of basically the Babylonian army. And later on in this same chapter, we don't read about it here, but history tells us that he went back to Babylon and he assumed the, um, the throne, basically, of Babylon. And part of that leadership was he demonstrated some really... Um, smart and intelligent understanding of human nature and behavior. So part of that was he would take his conquered subjects and he would send them to new lands that he had conquered to ensure that they would be submissive to him, basically. And then he would even take some of those highest subjects that he just conquered and he would bring them into his own personal court. 
So that's what happens to Daniel and his three friends. So then we pick up in verse 5. It says, The king appointed to them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them for three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, three years, that's a long process. Um, That's basically college for you right there. Imagine, though, for these, these men, the culture shock, going to a new place with a new language, new laws, and different rights, probably a different currency, new customs and fashions, and yet they decided to remain faithful to God. They, Even though they were far away from home, they were almost a thousand miles from Israel, where they were from, but they still did not forget about God, and they did not forsake God. And even though it was a three-year trial period, that's a very long trial, and really trials can often seem to last forever. They can seem indefinite. But God knows the time limit, and God is still in control, and all we are required to do is just to be faithful one day at a time and to determine to do what's right, no matter what. So these men, they're given this uh, training course here for three years, and they make a decision to be faithful to God, and really that's going to be huge in their future. And it actually helps Daniel understand the visions that God gives him later on because he was willing to be obedient. So because he made that choice, God gave him understanding of his word. And the good news is, no matter how old you are, if you're dedicated to living your life to following the Lord by living according to his word, you too can understand God's word. And you can have this spiritual thing. It's called illumination. God can supply you with that so that you have the knowledge and understanding of his word to tackle books like Daniel and to understand what God wants you to know from it. So we'll pick up here in verse 6, starting next week as we go through the book of Daniel. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.